0: Thank you worship team at uh, uh, Bryce man he uh, plays the bass plays the guitar plays the drums what else do you play Sousaphone saxophone very talented guy Of course he hangs around James a lot and that helps it kind of rubs off uh, if you would open the word of God with me please to first Kings chapter one if you need the table of contents I totally get that. If you're using the Ryrie Study Bible, it's page 525, if it's the New American Standard Version. Uh, we're just beginning a study on the, the life of Solomon. Let me start here. Um, a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 9, we saw the apostles assuming that a man who had been born blind must have sinned seriously in the womb or... His parents must have committed some very serious sin during his pregnancy. That was their operating assumption. Our Lord Jesus says, the whole premise that serious personal sin in this life always directly is connected to serious personal suffering is just false. It's a lot more complicated than that. I mean, there are times when we do something stupid and sinful and selfish and we get caught or we... Uh, suffer the harm that uh, was done directly, and that can and does happen. But the reality is, in most cases, there are lots of other factors involved. So it's very wrong to condemn everybody who's seriously suffering with a disease or a, a relational issue or some other horrible thing in their life as if they must have committed some horrible personal sin. It's just not true. Now, we've talked about that often enough around here. I think most of you guys know that. But I'm not sure all of us are as keen and as familiar with the flip side of that as I think we should be. I think we tend to assume that when Christians and or churches, and for most of us that would be you and me and Tanglewood Bible Fellowship Church, most of the time, we tend to assume that if Christians and or churches are centered on Christ with integrity, trying to do the right thing, seeking and submitting the will of God, then the details, the issues of our lives will be relatively minor. And whatever difficulties sort up, of, kind of bubble up, will be uh, dealt with quickly and easily. won't be a lot of delay won't be a lot of difficulty if your heart's really centered where it needs to be. That assumption is false. It's not biblical. It's not true. And, you know, the common denominator for everyone is, and there are several portions of Scripture that lament about the fact that quite often the wicked seem to prosper in this life where the righteous don't. So the common denominator is we're living in a broken world. God's in the process of fixing it. When you get to the end of the program, and you ought to read, Stephanie, you ought to read Revelation 21 and 22 regularly because that's, that's where God's going to take reality for believers. We're going to be in a place with no cancer and no drugs and no uh, operations and uh, no abortions and no pornography and no wars and no terrorists He's going to get us there, but we're not there now. We're living in a fallen world. And in 1 Kings chapter 1, we're going to see an amazing thing. It is absolutely the will of God for Solomon to be the next king after David dies. And that's important not just for the book of 1 Kings. That's important for all of salvation history because God's got a plan to get Jesus here and his humanity is connected with David to Solomon. So it's absolutely the will of God for Solomon, Jane, to follow his son, his father David. And yet, in chapter 1, and next week in chapter 2, we're going to see lots of details, lots of conflicts, lots of delays, lots of difficulties. So if we are naively assuming, as long as my heart's in the right place, or my church's heart's in the right place, or my pastor's heart's in the right place, uh, nothing really bad or difficult will happen. And if it does, it'll be solved in a couple of days after a couple of prayer meetings. That's not true, and that's going to cause us to want to doubt, pout, and drop out from pursuing the will of God in a fallen world with a passion, expecting there'll probably be difficulties. Uh, and as we see that, we can face them and overcome them in faith. So, uh, we're going to jump into 1st Solomon, or 1st Kings chapter 1 today. We're going to start the new study of the life of Solomon in earnest. Last week we kind of surveyed some, some things. But we'll see that all kinds of details have to be worked out in the outworking of God's will in time and in our lives today, then and today. But as is our custom, let's pray for uh, teachability to God's word and for troops, peace officers, and firefighters. And uh, I think we were praying for troops and firefighters and peace officers before praying for them was cool. But it's remarkable how fast time flies. You know, Debbie and I were driving uh, back from the panhandle of Florida this way on July 17th when we heard about the three uh, peace officers who were shot in Baton Rouge. And we were very close to Baton Rouge as we heard that news on the radio or maybe Facebook. I think Debbie accessed it on Facebook on her phone. So uh, let's, let's pray in that direction. Andrew, pray for us, would you please? You know, if I were, were to ask you, what's the one word... You think about, when you think of Solomon, what's the one thing he's most associated with? I know Krista would say, it's got to be wisdom, right? Uh, he asked for wisdom, he got wisdom, he's the wisest person who ever lived, which didn't mean he doesn't make mistakes, but that's what he's known for. And when I'm thinking of wisdom, Meg, and then I think of the opposite of wisdom, I think of knock-knock jokes. And so, in an effort to further warm up our capacity for abstract thinking, Bryce... I want to share with you three, especially goofy, knock-knock jokes. Okay, now you all know the drill, okay? Knock-knock, Amos, and Mosquito. I I told you they were goofy. Is your abstract thinking warmed up completely yet? We're going to do two more whether you like it or not. Knock-knock, Nana, Nana your business. Uh, not, not, Mikey. Mikey doesn't fit in the keyhole. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, if you could hold your place in First Kings and turn to Matthew chapter one, you know the real, the real reason beyond the, uh, you know, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, and proof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the believer might become mature, thoroughly furnished in all good works. Uh, but the real reason we're looking at uh, the life of Solomon beyond the inherent value of the narratives we're going to be looking at is the way he fits into the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ, as I alluded to earlier. So if you look at the Matthew chapter 1, the reason Matthew starts with a genealogy is to show to Jewish minds who would have been the original readers that Jesus qualifies as a direct descendant of David through Solomon to be the Savior, to be the Messiah. And uh, remember now, this pulpit represents the life and the death of Christ and his resurrection. He dies for our sins, he pays everything that could keep uh, Doug Strange out of heaven, or uh, uh, Debbie McCoy out of heaven, or Jack Smith out of heaven. Christ dies for our sins as our substitute, and then he rises again. That's the life of Christ. The Old Testament books, including First Kings, were all written before the first coming of Christ, and they anticipate and prophesy the coming of the Messiah, first as a lamb. And the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament, the books written right after the life of Christ, both of them anticipate a second coming of Christ, not as a lamb, but how, Russell? Not as a lamb, but as a lion, right? And that's what else you're in uh, God's program, undeniably and supernaturally. But when you look at this list of names, and if you're trying to read through the New Testament, in, in a year a lot of people just bust through the genealogies, but they're really always there for a reason. And you notice in Matthew one one, he says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah who's the son, meaning the descendant of King David, just as prophesied in the Old Testament, uh, son of Abraham. If you drop down to verse 6, in the middle of this genealogy, and on this graphic, I'm going to circle Solomon there for you. So, first one's like an umbrella summary statement. I want to show and prove that Jesus qualifies to be the Messiah because he is a descendant of David And he goes back even further to Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, ultimately the Lord Jesus, his humanity. But look at verse 6. Jesse was the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. You know about all that dirty laundry. And Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. And it goes on. So go back to 1 Kings. The reason we're looking at Solomon, ultimately in the big picture, the reason that he's so important is because he's one of the links, one of the human links in the chain that will bring Jesus uh, to this world to be the Savior. And so um, you might think that all the people on that list, Steve, would have had easy lives because they're there for a very, very important reason, much more important than uh, most of the things we do in a daily uh, routine or really in a whole lifetime. And these people are links in the line, you need to get Jesus here. And yet, all these people have issues, as we'll see, and we'll see here in the very earliest days of Solomon's reign, is all kinds of hassles. So, buckle your seat belt and put your tray in its upright and locked position as you live life. No matter how much faith you've got, no matter how pure your intentions are to honor God. We have fifty-three verses. We're going to do in forty-two minutes, and they break down into three pieces. Pray for me, people. First, we're going to have bad news. Adonijah, the oldest surviving son of David, attempts to seize the throne just before King David's death in view of the king's declining physical health and detached state of mind. That's bad news. Then we have good news. At the urging of Nathan the prophet and Bathsheba, one of his wives, David has Solomon formally anointed as king of Israel counter Adonai, Adonijah's desires. And then, uh, more bad news. It looks like good news, but if you read chapter two, you find out it's bad news. We'll see that next week. The pretender, the guy who pretended to the throne, Adonijah, pretends to reconcile with Solomon after he's formally anointed. And, uh, people will just lie to you to your face. And that's something, Christians can do that to you too, you know. So just, uh, be prepared okay let's look at that first portion verses 1 through 10 Adonijah one of Solomon's brothers in fact he's older than Solomon attempts to seize the throne just before David's death look at verses one through four now King David was old advanced in age and they covered him with clothes but he could not keep warm he's on his he's on the, the downhill trend he's not going to be around very much longer maybe a matter of weeks. Can't keep his temperature up. So watch this. Everybody got their seat belts buckled? Okay. So his servants said to him, let them seek a young virgin for my lord the king and let her attend to the king and become his nurse. We're going to put nurse in quotation marks. And let her lie in your bosom that my lord the king may keep warm. And notice David doesn't say no. So they searched for a beautiful Girl throughout the entire territory of Israel, and they found a Bishag, the Shunamite. She's from uh, the northern region, just a little bit north of uh, Nazareth, or at least a little. There's actually one commentary said said northeast, and one said southwest. I'm not sure, but it's within kind of a 15 mile radius of Nazareth. They found her, and they brought her to the king, and the girl was very beautiful and she became the king's nurse and served him, but the king did not cohabit, and you all know what that means, with her. Uh, Abishag and David. Um, what are we going to say about that? I think I want to say uh, it's not ideal at a lot of different levels. Um, I would say it was SOP, but it's still sketchy. It's funny, uh, even the MacArthur Study Bible points out that this kind of thing was recognized as medical, as a proper medical procedure in that day. And they mention uh, a Greek doctor of the first century, Galen, and the Jewish historian Josephus who talk about things like that. Just because something's standard operating procedure doesn't necessarily mean it's a great idea. Uh, and again, you know, I mentioned last time that when you're looking at the narratives of Scripture, they're inerrant, they're inspired, they're infallible. It's what happened. But quite often things are described, but not prescribed. Okay, They're cataloged, but they're not condoned. An example of that would be in this same passage. Let's look at verse 6, talking about uh, Adonijah trying to take the throne uh, even before his dad has died. And we're told part of the, not an excuse, But part of the explanation why this kid, and he's a man now, uh, would have so much of an arrogant overreach, we're told, verse 6, his father, Adonijah's father, David, had never crossed him at any time. He had never said no. Now, your kids are going to figure out how to say no. That's one of the first words they learn, okay? No, you know, mine, you know. And you've got to learn to say no to your kids. Now, it's, it's a lot easier, it's a lot easier for me to say no to my kids than it is to my grandkids. I'm just telling you. It's, uh, I don't know. I'm not the same person, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, verse six there is not designed to encourage parents to, uh, overindulge your kids or never say no to your kids. It's just kind of what happened. So, quite often narratives in scripture describe what happened without prescribing or condoning them, and I think this would be a really good example of that kind of thing. But I do want you to remember her name, and James and I have laughed about this, but some guy wrote a reference book that tells you how you're supposed to pronounce all these unpronounceable names in the Bible. And, of course, and I'm not sure how he knows these things, since uh, they're not even sure how you pronounce Yahweh, technically, but... Uh, uh, a bishag is the way the expert tells us uh, we're supposed to pronounce this. Very beautiful, very, uh, specially, uh, qualified kind of a nurse. She's going to become important next week. So don't forget her name. But let's continue. Look at verses five through ten. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggath. Haggith was one of David's wives. He had like eight wives and ten concubines. And so he, he's got, he doesn't hold a torch to, uh, Solomon Solomon ended up with 700 wives and 300 concubines. Or was it porcupines? I can't remember. But, And again, description, not prescription. But uh, one of uh, David's wives, Haggith, had had a son, Adonijah. Solomon is also a son, but his mother was Bathsheba. So you got to kind of keep his names straight. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself. What do you think about that, Blanche? Is that a good idea? Is that the point? You know, long story short, you know, when I first became a full paid professional Christian back in August of 1982 at Fellowship Bible Church in Shreveport, they hadn't even invented the concept of Clergy Appreciation Day, or clergy, or clergy Appreciation Month, or whatever they call it. A couple years in, probably because I heard about my sterling efforts in Shreveport, James Dobson and the Christian card companies invented this holiday, and at that point I thought, no, we're not going to do that. I mean, my elders wouldn't have done it anyway. But I said, no, we're not going to do that. I mean, the the, the church doesn't exist to exalt the pastor. The church uh, is supposed to be helped by the pastor. The pastor exists to serve the church. Uh, but, you know, 34 years later, I'm totally corrupt. I love pastor appreciation days. So, uh, <laughs> but I've taken a lot of hits in the last 34 years. So you you guys owe me something. But anyway, uh, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, one of David's wives, son of David, exalted himself saying in light of how sick dad is and the fact he's not going to be around much longer i will be king that sounds like somebody else doesn't it blanche ezekiel 14 you know uh... isaiah 28 you know satan i will i will like you know go to the the, the most high i'll take over so you've got hubris now hubris isn't a word i use a lot just so you will know but i looked it up and i found out that uh... it means arrogant overreach he just self-appoints himself to be the king, and he's going to jump the gun before any of these other brothers, including Solomon, who's the guy, uh, can actually officially take control. This guy is going to jump in there and take over. That's what he's saying here. So keep looking. Uh, I will be king. So he prepared for himself a little entourage. This is not real impressive against the total army of the, the nation at that time, but he's got like 50 men and some chariots and horsemen to kind of be his entourage. Now, verse 6 tells you a little bit of the psychology behind this. David was kind of a detached father. Can you say that? Uh, his father, David, had never crossed him by by any time as saying, no, you know, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? No accountability. And he was also very handsome, kind of like Absalom, who's already been killed because uh, he overreached his authority and tried to take over the kingdom while his dad was alive. Now, Adonijah, the son trying to take over the kingdom, uh, without God's blessing, without David's blessing, he had conferred with Joab. Joab was David's number one general and had been for decades, the son of Zeruah, and with uh, Abi- Abiathar, yeah, that's according to the book, Abiathar, the priest, uh, and following Adonijah, they helped him. So these are two big names. These are two VIPs, a lot of grabby toss with these guys in the nation. So these are good allies to have. But, Zadok, the other well-known priest, uh, Beniah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, he's really the big name, uh, Shimei and Rei, and the mighty men, kind of the uh, special forces detachment that did a lot of missions for David, and he worked with hands-on for years, who belonged to David, were not with Adonijah. Adonijah, who's trying to usurp the throne, before things can get any worse with David's condition. Uh, but to jump the gun, so to speak, sacrifice sheep, oxen, fatling by the stone of Zoheloth, which is beside En-Rogel. And that's important because that's if you think of greater Jerusalem, and I'm going to have to turn around to do this, okay? This is greater Jerusalem. Can you tell? Okay. This is the southeast corner where the uh, Kidron Valley and the Hinnom Valley collide right there just out of eyeshot of the city. So this is kind of an under-the-radar select VIP grouping of a pseudo-inauguration banquet to get some of these VIPs and get some momentum going. So he's going to claim to be the king and insist everyone recognize that. He's going to jump the gun before Solomon can get it. Uh, But watch this. So we're told who he's invited. And and by the way, it says in the middle of verse 9, uh, he also invited all his brothers. Now, Adonijah is one of David's, the sitting king's sons. And he's got a lot of, of sons. David does. And he invites, several of them have died. The first three are already dead, but in, in the line. But he's the fourth born. He's the oldest living one, Adonijah. And he invites all his brothers except for one. Who does he not invite? Solomon, right? So, this is on purpose. You know, he's leaving him out on purpose. So he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants, but he did not invite Nathan, the prophet, who's getting direct uh, revelation from God. Uh, Beniah, uh the Beniah was in charge of like the secret service, the royal bodyguard. And Solomon did not invite Nathan, Beniah, or Solomon. So we got we got issues, we got problems, right? So he attempts to seize the throne before, when nobody's looking, as it were. He's seeing the condition of his dad and realizes it's not going to be much much longer before he dies, and I'm going to go ahead and be in, be in charge. So he has this big meeting just out of sight of uh, the city walls. Uh, I was reminded of a couple of statements here. Um, Blanche, says, I'm picking on you today, look up, uh, if you would, um, if I can find my, my notes here. Proverbs 25, 6, and 7. Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7. And then uh, the Lord Jesus says something about this. He says this is a more practical, more generic kind of a setting. We're not talking about taking over royalty. But Jesus says when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, uh, at a big Jewish banquet, he told them this parable Jesus did. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. Because a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. And if so, the host who invited both of you, you and the bigger VIP, will come and say to you, give this man your seat. You're sitting in the wrong seat. You don't belong in that seat. Uh, then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. Don't uh, pull rank. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. Just a pragmatic thing. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay, what does the proverb say there? Yeah. Uh, don't force it, okay? Don't uh, impose your will in those kind of situations. Allow them to invite you uh, to the place of honor. Okay, let's go from the bad news. Adonijah is attempting and going through the mechanisms of a pseudo-inauguration so he can claim to be king. Uh, and now the good news is Nathan and Bathsheba, doing the will of God, doing a lot of making decisions and doing a lot of dirty work here, a lot of uh, hands-on work are uh, are involved in working out the will of God. It's it's not easy. Look at verse 11, uh, 11 through 14. Then Nathan, he's the prophet that confronted David about the Bathsheba incident and about the murder of her husband Uriah, a righteous prophet, uh, David's best spiritual advisor. Then Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggath, has become king? He's claiming and proclaiming himself king. And David, our Lord, doesn't even know about it. So now come, please, Bathsheba, let me give you counsel and save your life and the life of your son Solomon. What does that mean? If this goes through and becomes official, Daniel, Solomon, and Bathsheba are going to be killed by the new king, just to solidify his claim. So, uh, if this goes on much longer, they're out of here. They're going to be killed in addition to other even more problematic things as far as uh, a lot of different uh, scriptural dynamics. So come, let's talk about this. You need to save your life and the life of Solomon. Don't do this next week. You can't wait till next week on this. You got to do this now. You got to do this right now. So go at once to King David and she's got easy access to, to David. Getting to an, a king in the ancient Near East wasn't easy. You think we got red tape today? They had red tape back then. Not even Nathan has an open invitation uh, to King David. Bathsheba does, though. So go at once to King David and say to him, Have you not, my lord, O king, sworn to your servant, maid maidservant, saying, Surely Solomon is the guy. Solomon, your son, not any of your other sons, but Solomon, your son, shall be king after me. Haven't you said that, David? and he shall sit on my throne. Why then has Adonijah become king, or at least claiming to be king? Behold, while you uh, are still speaking there, Nathan tells Bathsheba, I'll come in after you, and I'll confirm your words by the mouth of two or three witnesses, any matters confirmed. So that's kind of a, a pattern there. Uh, look at verse 15. So Bathsheba went into the king. She didn't wait till next week. She doesn't go get her beauty treatment first. She goes directly to the king. Doesn't pass go. Doesn't collect $200, right? Uh, now, the king was very old. And Abishag, the Shunammite, was ministering to the king. You can figure out probably what that means. Then Bathsheba bowed and prostrated her. Prostrated. Prostate and prostrate are two different things. I often get it confused, but I know the difference. She prostrated herself before the king. And the king said, What do you wish? And she said to him, My lord, you swore to your maid servant, you swore to me earlier, uh, by the Lord your God, saying, Surely Solomon shall be king after me. He shall sit on my throne. But now behold, Adonijah is king, or at least claiming to be king. Uh, and now my lord, the king doesn't even know it. He sacrificed oxen, fatling, and sheep. He's having this big banquet for the VIPs, including Joab, the guy who's the head of the ch- Joint Chiefs of Staff, for goodness sakes. Uh, he's invited all the sons of the king, but not Solomon. And uh, Abiathar, the priest, not Zadok, but Abiathar is there. Joab, there he is, Joint Chiefs of Staff chairman. But he's not invited Solomon. He's obviously wanting to grab this thing and kill Solomon and move on. But as for you now, my lord, she's talking to David. Uh, the eyes of all Israel, as it were, are on you. They're going to be checking your Facebook page. You've got to get this thing right. To tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord, um, the king after him. We all know you're not long for this world. you got to do something decisive. Look at verse 21. Otherwise, it will come about as soon as my lord the king sleeps with his fathers, and we know it's not going to be very long here, David that I and my son Solomon will be considered offenders, will be considered to be rivals, will be whacked, will be killed. Uh, behold, while she was still speaking with the king on this issue, Nathan comes in, and they told the king together, uh, they told the king saying, whoever is at the door, here's Nathan the prophet, and when he came in before the king, he prostrated, got it right that time, himself before the king with his face to the ground, as saluting the flag, saluting the... the uh, uh the person who's uh, uh, you know, over you in the military is not a pagan thing to do. It's just something you do out of respect. Then Nathan said, uh, My lord, the king, have you said, did you really say, have you approved this, that Adonijah shall be king after you? Sit on your throne? For he's acting like that's what you said. And he knows David didn't say that, but uh, he's gone down today. He's sacrificed oxen, fatlings, and sheep in abundance, having his big fancy banquet." Big cocktail party for all these VIPs. He's invited all the king's sons, except for Solomon, the command uh, commanders of the army, the priest, and behold, they're eating and drinking before him, and they're saying, Long live King Adonijah. Sounds like a political convention, uh, recognizing somebody as X before it actually happens. But me, even me, your servant, Nathan the prophet, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, And your servant Solomon, he had not invited us. We're on the out list, and we're going to get whacked if, in fact, he takes over after you're gone. Has this thing been done by you? Have you checked off on this? Is this the plan? This isn't the plan, is it? Of course it's not. How could it be? Has this thing been done by the Lord my king? And have you not shown your servants who should sit on the throne of my Lord the king after him? You said Solomon from day one. Then King David said, he's jarred to action. Bless his heart. Doesn't have much to give, but he gives everything he's got. Call Bathsheba back. She must have left the room for a moment. And she came back into the king's presence, stood before the king, and the king vowed and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all my distress, surely, as I vowed to you, this is God's will, it's gonna happen, even though it's gonna take a lot of details and overcoming difficulties as here. Surely, as I vowed to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Your son Solomon, your son Solomon, she be king after me. He'll sit on my throne in this in my place. I will indeed do this right now, today. Give me the papers. I'm going to sign them. It's going to be signed, sealed, and delivered just like that. No red tape. No delays. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground, prostrated, and a lot of prostrating here, herself before the king, and said, May my lord King David live forever. And she doesn't mean that physically. I think she means that theologically through his line, we're going to get a messiah who's going to bring in God for every kingdom. I think she's speaking better than sometimes we give her credit for there. Then King David said, Call to me Zadok, the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. And they came into the king's presence. These, this is really the dream team of, of uh, spiritual leaders and really, really bright and capable people. And the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, basically my cabinet, have my son Solomon ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gahon. Gahon's about a half a mile north of where Adonijah is having his cocktail party. It's, uh, Gahon is the spring that is the main source of water just outside the city uh, wall of Jerusalem. And riding a mule doesn't sound as good as flying in on Air Force One, does it, Anthony? But it's exactly the same thing in that context. Okay. Adonijah is you know, doing this on his own. He's exalting himself. He's surrounding himself with some people that are a little bit sketchy, and they're going to do this by stealth. David says, do this publicly, formally. Go to Gahon in front of the whole nation. Ride Air Force One in that day. It was the Royal Mule, and people would have recognized it as such. Uh, and bring him to Gahon where everybody in the city can see this. Um, you know, light is a great dis- disinfectant. When you have to do stuff in secret, if you have to do stuff in secret or you have to lie about it, maybe you shouldn't do it. Just a rule of thumb. It can simplify your life. Let Zadok the priest and Nathan uh, the prophet anoint him uh, with oil as the king over Israel. That was the pattern of the day. Uh, and blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. He's gonna make Jan, he's gonna make his son king right now, and they're gonna be co regents. And that was not unusual in the ancient Near East to have the declining king have a son or sometimes other or someone else he thought was qualified. You don't always pick the oldest son. That was kind of the assumed pattern, Ron, but you don't have to do that. In theory, you pick the one who's going to be best. God has indicated Solomon's the guy. So we're going to do this and he's going to become king right now. We'll be co-regents. Okay. I'm not going to wait till I die and technically he's king. He's going to be technically be the king right now. Long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him. And he shall come and sit on my throne right after he's anointed at Gehon and in, in the site of the whole uh, greater Jerusalem area and be king in my place for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah, the whole twelve tribes. Beniah the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, Amen. What does that mean? So be it. So be it. Today we say, Great idea, boss. Now, you know what? A big part of being a good leader or good, uh, influencer is let the guy in charge think he's making the decisions, but you just kind of lead him to where he's got to make, because it's obviously a good decision. He makes it. He gets all the credit for it. But it's, it's when, when you do stuff like that, you go, yeah, that's the way you do it. You know, you influence, let the other guy get the credit. I don't care. This is going to happen. We're all happy. We're actually going to do God's will here today. Uh, you know, some, some churches have a a bylaw that says, the will of God cannot be overruled in this church by anything less than a two-thirds majority vote of the congregation. Now, <laughs> now, they don't, they don't say that. I'm kidding, but that wouldn't be good. So, uh, yeah. So he goes, Amen. So be it. May the Lord, Yahweh, the God of our salvation, the God of my Lord and the King say, as the Lord has been with my Lord, the King, meaning David, so may he be with Solomon and make his, Solomon's throne greater than the throne of my Lord David, uh, King David. And in many ways that does happen. You can, depending on what uh, qualifications you're using to analyze it, but in many ways, as far as uh, size and prosperity, he, his uh, throne does outshine David's for sure. Um, keep going. Verse 38. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Beniah the son of Jehoiada, he's in, he's in charge of the uh, secret service, the Cherethites and the Pelethites, they were a, a group of special forces attached to the Secret Service, the king's bodyguards. They were really tough guys, but good guys. Went down and had Solomon ride on Air Force One. I mean, King David's mule. Brought him to gahon public place, you can see it, uh, from greater Jerusalem, all over the place. Zadok, the priest, then took the horn of oil from the tent, anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people within sight, greater Jerusalem, went up uh, after him and the people were playing on flutes. These guys are almost as talented as Bryce. They play flutes. What, when are you, you going to work on flute anytime soon, Bryce? I mean, come on. You may as well. you might only played 18 instruments. So there's always room for one more. Um, playing the flutes and rejoicing with great joy set so that all the earth, Eretz in Hebrew doesn't mean the whole planet. It means the region right there. Region... was shaking with the noise and they are on a fault line now you got to be tough to live in oklahoma you know that (laughs) we get everything but hurricanes uh my my family all lives in hurricane country and you know my sister uh was out of her house for a year from a hurricane several years ago and this and that and they think we're crazy for for living in oklahoma and I used to think, but you guys get hit by a hurricane every 10 years. But the more I think about it, yeah, we are crazy for living here. I mean, we get we get droughts, wildfires, tornadoes, um, earthquakes, hailstorms, flooding. Yeah, I remember, what was that, in July, in July when we were going to go to Colorado, or June when we were going to go to Colorado, it rained so hard, half the church had to leave before we started, and then we were trying to get out on uh, Elk to the bypass, it was underwater. Uh we got on a, a Highway 7, we're, we're trying to get to Colorado, so we went west, and we got going almost to the catch. Okay, Zane? we got Almost to the catch. I thought, we got, I got this made. I mean, it must have been everything from Duncan East that really got the bad water. And then we saw a fire truck that closed Highway 7, said, no, you gotta go back, you can't, you know, Lawton's underwater. But we eventually, we, we went, uh, we, we, uh, went north to Chickasha and eventually got on 40. We got to Colorado. It took us like four days, but it was all great, you know. Uh, <laughs> we took the long while. But yeah, man, there, so the earth's shaking. Now this is, uh, above board, signed, sealed, and delivered. No argument, uh, no debate. I mean, he's the king and that's it and everybody knows it. So now we look at the last part of the puzzle. Adonijah, who exalted himself and tried to preemptively Steal the throne has because of God's will worked out by a lot of decisions and initiative by a lot of people been thwarted. I can't say that word either. Uh, Solomon's become the king and now, and I made this up all by myself, the pretender to the throne, Adonijah, pretends to reconcile with Solomon. People will lie to your face. Beware. Don't be that kind of person. Now, Adonijah and all the guests, they're still blissfully unaware. This guy's got a plan. He thinks he's got it wired. Adonijah thinks he's got it wired. Okay? Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it, heard the noise, the tumult, a half mile away, as they finished eating, you know, at their cocktail party. When Joab, big military leader, big friend of David, but gets a little excessively violent, kind of like David does, and here he's gone over to the dark side, Heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, Why is the city making such an uproar? I never heard anything like that in Jerusalem. Hmm. While he was still speaking, behold, Jonathan, not David's best friend decades before, the son of Saul, but, uh, Jonathan, the son of the high priest, uh, came in, and then Adonijah said, and watch this, he's still, Jan, he's still totally clueless. He still thinks he's got it wired. People who are sly and sneaky, they always think they're smarter than everybody else. And invariably, invariably, in most cases, they end up getting caught. He says, come on in here, boy. You know, you're a valiant man. You bring good news. It's all good. Happy talk. Give me more happy talk. But Jonathan, who's seen the anointing of King Solomon, and he's the guy, and he's getting on Air Force One, going to the throne. He's sitting on the throne, uh, re- replied to Adonijah, no, our Lord, King David, has signed, sealed, and delivered, Solomon's the king. If you forgive me uh, this expression, you've been trumped. <laughs> you've got to be careful when you use that word nowadays, right? <laughs> the king has also sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites, the Pelethites, the special forces assigned to the Secret Service, And they've made him ride on Air Force One, the king's mule. Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet have anointed him in Gihon in front of everybody. And they've come up from there rejoicing that the whole city's in an uproar. That's the noise you've heard. That's what it is. They're all rejoicing that Solomon's the king. You ain't it, buddy. Besides, Solomon has even taken his seat on the throne. He's it. He's a co-regent. It's done. You know, It is finished. Moreover, the king's servants came to bless our Lord King David, saying, May your God make the name of Solomon better than your name, his throne better, greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself on the bed. The king has also said thus, Blessed be the Lord Yahweh, the God of our salvation, the God of Israel, who's granted one to sit on my throne today while I, my eyes are still uh, you know, in my head and I'm still alive on earth to see it. This is all over. Now look, the hunter... Becomes the hunted. Adonijah wanted to grab this thing, Stephanie, and whack Solomon and whack Bathsheba and whack uh, Zadok and all these good people. But look what happens. Um, It's pretty funny how uh, once people feel the heat, they see the light. Then all the guests of Adonijah, all these big shots at this cocktail party that were going to be big shots in this new administration, were terrified because guess what? They're now rebels. And... Solomon can uh, assign capital punishment to anybody who would try to do what Adonijah and these people have been doing. And they arose, and they went on their way. They had other things to do now. They're not going to linger and get that third martini, right? And Adonijah, the guy who thought he had it wired, was afraid of Solomon, and in, in Solomon's power now as the uh, chief of state and the chief executive. And he arose, and he went and took hold of the horns of the brazen altar in Jerusalem, which according to Exodus 30, uh, 21, said, unintended, non-premeditated capital crime that, uh, you could find a place of refuge, have it adjudicated, and not necessarily face capital punishment. So he's claiming, you know, I just didn't, I didn't remember, I didn't realize what we were doing might be interpreted as me trying to take over, you know, I was just having a party for my friends, you know, kind of thing. So he's going to lie his way through that. Now it was told Solomon saying, Behold, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon. For behold, he's taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, you know, show me mercy. Let like King Solomon swear to me today that he'll not put his servant to death with the sword which he has every right to do capital punishment trying to steal the throne. Solomon said, and watch, amazing grace here. Uh, if he, if my brother Adonijah, will be a worthy man. will just be a good citizen. Not one of his hairs will fall to the ground. But if wickedness is found in him, he's going to die. Uh, I'm going to formally pardon you for your past attempts to take over, but it's all based on good behavior from now on. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down. They brought Adonijah down from the altar. And he, Adonijah, came and, this is the last one I prostrated himself, before King Solomon. And Solomon said, go to your house, man. We're good. No problem. Now, you got to come back next week or just read chapter 2 for the ROTS, which is the rest of the story. Uh, it turns out Adonijah hasn't given up his desire to become the king. And we're going to see what happens next week. But, uh, yeah, I wish I'd advanced that slide there yeah, from 100 to 100. Yeah, so let's end this way. Take this to heart. Uh, it's just flat God's will. I mean, at a macro level for Solomon to become the king because we got this line that God knows all about, even though all these people don't necessarily understand all the details at that point. And it's going to work out, James. It's going to work out. Solomon's going to be the king. It's God's will. And you might think it'd be easy, no complications, no waiting. It's not easy. you got people directly opposing it. you got to have, what is it, the only thing you need for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing theoretically, if they'd sat on their hands here, we would have had a whole different situation. Now, I understand God's sovereignty. And I understand that. But the outworking of God's sovereign plan includes choices, decisions, initiative by his people. And if you're trying to do the right thing, it won't always be easy. When a believer is honestly seeking the will of God, the rest is easy, right? That's not true. Uh, it's God's will for Solomon to be David's successor, to be a link in the genetic chain to Jesus. Uh, but the process of it happening, as we see here, was not easy. It involved a lot of initiative, decisions, and actions by good people. So you need to punt the idea, the concept that if, that if I'm seeking God's will as a believer in Christ, everything's going to be simple and easy. Because, in the words of our favorite uh, theologian Mike Gundy, it ain't true. Now, some of you remember 2007. We had Bobby Reed was a quarterback and he was, he was underperforming. So they put Zach Johnson in and it was the day of the uh, Texas Tech game. I think we won uh, that game at home only because Michael Crabtree dropped a touchdown pass last play of the game in the goal, in the end zone. But that was a big win for us. And he goes into the press conference. You think he's going to talk about the game and the team, but he pulls out this uh, article that had been written about Bobby Reed and all this stuff. And it really kind of put Bobby Reed down. And a lot of the stuff in that article just wasn't true. Bobby Reed had underperformed and he ended up uh, being benched. But a lot of other, the stuff, other, the other stuff in that article. And so you've got what we call in OSU circles, the rant. And that, he kind of put OSU kind of on the map at, a, at one level, at a national level. Everybody's talking about it. They thought it was funny or crazy or whatever. Uh, cause he's just ranting for like 10 or 15 minutes about this thing. But, you know, he never cussed, which was pretty remarkable. Still can't hardly believe that. Uh, you can watch it on YouTube if you want to. But uh, toward the end of that, he said, you know, uh, you did this, you did this, but it ain't true, it ain't true. And so that, that was kind of his famous uh, statement there. So let me finish this way. Uh, beyond just you trying to work out things in your life as a believer, think about it this way. You hear people talk about easy believism. You Christians believe in easy believism. Just believe in Jesus and everything's fine. It's not easy to believe. It's not easy to believe in Jesus as Savior. You've got to trust in someone you've never seen for your eternal welfare. Okay? I'm I'm it's hard for me to trust somebody for ten dollars. You give them ten dollars, you never see it again. Somebody said if you give somebody a friend ten dollars, you never see him again, it was worth it. You know? I mean, really. I mean, I'm just cynical in my life. You know, but, I mean, you're trusting someone you've never seen for your eternal welfare and where you're going to go after you die. And you are going to die eventually unless the rapture happens. It's not easy. The Holy Spirit has to do all kinds of stuff to convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. In our culture today, it's almost impossible to believe in Christ because you've got to recognize you're a sinner. You can't even use that word anymore. It's on you. It's your fault, and you can't, Fix it by being more religious or a nicer person or trying harder or piling good works on the edifice of your sinful status. You gotta believe all that stuff before you're gonna trust Jesus to be your Savior, daring to believe He died to pay your sin debt, rose again, and through Him alone, all your sins can be forgiven. Now here's an amazing thing. This pulpit represents Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, right? Okay. I was born at a very young age, very close to my mother at the time in 1953 and uh, my wife told me I'm going to live to be 100 because I looked half dead at 50, so I'm going to obviously live to be 2053. How many of my sins were future when Christ died on the cross? How many did he pay for? When I trusted him as a nine-year-old kid, how many were forgiven? All the ones he died for. I think David in his call to worship prayer alluded to that, uh, tangentially maybe, but talked about the blessing of being forgiven. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. But you're trusting someone to do that for you you've never seen before. That's not easy. And as I said, with a culture that denies kind of personal uh, accountability anymore makes it even harder to even realize you need a Savior. So it's not easy to come to faith and it's not easy to live the faith. In fact, if anything, as our culture gets more and more secular, it becomes harder to live out the faith. Uh, So much of the things that were clearly right and wrong, good and bad 50 years ago, now they totally flipped. I mean, good is called evil. Evil is called good. And it's not easy. The idea is easy. Now, I, I do think he gives us a wonderfully light load in the sense that believers who are abiding in Christ have peace of mind. What's that worth to you? Okay. Um, we have the peace of God. We can have self-respect without self-worship. We can you would going to be diligently loving the Lord without noticing how wonderful we are because we're focusing on how great he is. And, of course, the supreme benefit is regardless of whatever disease, disasters, accidents, or uh, terrible things happen to you in this life, we've got all eternity with the risen Savior. But put this idea, it's easy to believe, it's easy to be a Christian, and that if you're really doing the right things, nothing very difficult will happen to you. If you look at this set of believers, I know we've got a lot of people gone for Labor Day weekend, but Carla and Rick come to mind instantly. But I can think of 10 other examples. I mean, we're getting ready to go to Puebla in 1999, last uh, Friday in August, when we get a phone call about noon that Bill and Joe were in that car wreck. And, of course, she dies a week later, and he dies a couple weeks after that. Uh, and they were very, very, very close to me and very, very uh, integral to this church, and that was like just ripping two of my best friends, uh, just breaking my heart, you know. Uh, we've had a lot of horrible things happen to people in this church. But you know what? I think the the light of Christ can shine brightest when it's set against a black background. All things work together for good, to those who are called, to those who... Uh, are called according to his purpose. So, uh, buckle your seatbelt. Be ready for a wild ride. Let's have realistic expectations about reality. But let's, uh, focus our, our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And now he sits at the, the right hand of the throne of the Father. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, help us to, to, uh, Have realistic expectations about life in a fallen world in finite bodies. But help us to realize that you've overcome the world. Uh, As the Lord Jesus says, in this world you're going to have tribulation, but rejoice because I've overcome the world. And so help us not to just have a grim resignation to put up with the hassles of next week. Let us embrace life with a joy we have a chance to live, to love the Lord and love those around us, and to serve those around us, and help us to decide and maybe redecide to really center on Christ this week and not be surprised when that may make things more difficult. There may be details and complications and delays that we don't like, we don't want, but let us not use that as an excuse to uh, punt away our commitment to walk closely with you this week. I pray for anyone here this morning, Lord, it's not from the depth of their heart. So, Lord Jesus, I need a Savior. I, I've broken the rules at my worst. I break my own standards, much less yours. And I give up the attempt to try to earn my own salvation. I believe you're my Savior because you died to pay for my sins and you rose again. And I want the gift of eternal life. I want forgiveness. I want to be connected with you forever. And I trust you and accept you as my Savior. For the rest of us, renew our uh, commitment to love and serve Him in the ups and downs, because they're surely coming. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.